filled with pride and it's really pride that says I don't need that gift I I just don't need your help I've offered to help people and they say hey man I'm okay I don't need it and I'm like man I'm just trying to bless you with something and then they find out they do need it but their pride had stepped in and guess what well it caused a bunch of problems that could have been avoided and that's kind of what we see here today if it isn't pride or suspicion then it's usually guilt Nahash, king of the Ammonites, passed away, and when David heard about it, he decided to send several of his trusted servants to comfort his son, Hanan. Under the influence of some pretty bad counselors, Hanan completely misinterprets David's intentions and mercilessly humiliates the delegation of well-wishers that he had sent. Misinterpretation and misunderstanding can lead to serious confusion, humiliation, and shame. How do you handle misunderstanding? In today's message, Pastor Mark will give us wisdom and counsel from the scriptures to avoid and diffuse misunderstanding and minimize its casualties. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10 with today's edition of Come Alive. I'm going to read a letter to you, and it's a a letter of miscommunication. It says, um, it's written to a guy, um, and it says, I can, I can slip my name in here. It says, Hello, Pastor Mark. I'm currently in my third year of a four-year Bachelor of Science nursing program. Going into this profession, I have heard all the jokes and ridicule you can imagine, especially for a big guy like myself. I'm six foot three, 265 pounds. My question is, am I less of a man for this career choice, or are those who remark about my career among the ranks of the sissies? Thanks. And he puts his name. And then... Um, The reply back is, I understand the idea of women being more prone to nursing rather than men. For example, here you are in your third year of school still perfecting this art while my wife was able to nurse immediately after giving birth with no training whatsoever. So this stereotype does hold water due to the fact that men don't lactate naturally. Wait, it just occurred to me that you were probably talking about nursing as a healthcare profession. That makes much more sense, frankly, and I'm relieved because lactating scares me. It says, let me offer to you my sincere apologies for that first paragraph. I can see from your man query that you are already suffering some serious undeserved scorn for your chosen vocation. So I'm sorry for insinuating that you could extract milk from your chest. You have to understand, though, that I have lactation on my brain these days with what baby John is doing his best as a baby calf impression on my wife every two to three hours and all. He's treating her as his own personal dairy section at the grocery store. So see, it wasn't a personal attack, just a product of my environment these days. And then he goes on to explain male nursing and what his thoughts are on that. But there are miscommunications, and we will see that. Sometimes there is a miscommunication between a guy and a girl. Every now and then, um, for example, you might have, and I don't know, um, somebody was explaining this to me, 
one time where a young lady was in her six months of dating a, a young man, and she had made a remark as to, wow, you know, this marks our six-month anniversary of going out with each other. And the guy was driving the car home. They were finishing up their date. And he kind of sat and squinted his eyes, and he started thinking, man, it's been six months. It feels like only yesterday. But he didn't answer that. That's just what he was thinking. And so he started thinking, wow, you know, the last time I took my car in was just prior to us dating. It's time for an oil change. And so he started to squint, and he goes, and I remember all this stuff that took place that they forgot to put the oil cap back on, and I had all these problems, and so he had this angry look. And she's looking at him, and she's thinking to herself, oh, no, I've upset him. Oh, I'm just so excited and just wanted to convey my feelings about how awesome it is to be dating him for six months. He's thinking, man, I'll never take my car back to those jerks ever again. And as he gets madder and starts to kind of pound the steering wheel, she's thinking, oh, I've overstepped my boundaries. I can't believe I've done this. I'm driving him away because of my selfish need for reaffirmation and him needing to reaffirm me and love me. And, And he's thinking, man, this is a problem. I can't believe this. And so she asks, honey, did I offend you? And he looks and he's like, I have no idea what she just said. Um, what is a safe answer? And she was like, well, did what I say about the six months offend you? I mean, do you think it's good? And he answers, yes. And that's about as far as he goes. And so because of this miscommunication, he now has no idea what he just answered yes to, as most of us guys tend to do. We just kind of zone out when we hear things and think about other things, and there's a miscommunication. And so today we will see another miscommunication biblically. Some of those were just fun ones, but they happen all the time. 90% of every conversation is perception, how you perceive what is going on. And sometimes inside of that perception, there are other people who tend to, well, whisper into your ears and they see things differently than maybe what is really going on. So let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, It happened after this that the king of the people of Amnon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Amnon. And the princes and the people of Amnon said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Let's stop there. See, last week and the week before, we've been talking about God being on a rescue mission. Remember when God was on this rescue mission because God has rescued David? So now David wants to return and show that kindness back. And so he shows it to Mephibosheth and his whole household. And remember, Mephibosheth was living in that dry place and just out in the desert. And we talked about how he was dropped. And because he was dropped, he was lame in his feet and he couldn't walk. And there were certain things in that day and time that because you had no legs to really work, you just really couldn't provide for yourself. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was Saul's son. Saul, well, Saul thought David was his enemy. And David had always had been really kind and good to Saul, and so good that 
opportunities when Saul was trying to kill David. David could have killed Saul, but chose not to. And even cutting off a piece of his garment, well, David felt very guilty for doing that because he had raised his hand or he'd done something to his king or God's anointed. So here, he even tried to, David even tried to help out God. Remember in chapter 7, hey, I want to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. And we talked about how, well, is there anything that you really can do for God? Is there? And, and we all have to be honest and answer, no, there's nothing that I can do for God. There's nothing I can give to God because God owns everything. And if I gave him the shoes on my feet, they're still his because, well, it was made out of the materials of the earth that he created. So is there anything we can give him or do for him? And we know that that is not true, that we can't. We cannot. So that's the way it should be in all of us. You know, that God has taken good care of you and I, and now you want to take care of someone else. But we can do that. God can use us to take care of someone else. He can use the natural to do the supernatural. And so God wants to use us to be those kind of people. We should all recognize and and all be able to see that the rescue mission God has initiated in our lives. How did you come for the first time to hear about the gospel? Well, he probably sent someone to you. And by sending someone to you, he's saying, hey, I want you, I need you, I love you, and I care for you. And so God initiated that in our lives and how we are set apart and how we are redeemed. And so he has set us apart and he has redeemed us. Our natural response should be, I can't just sit here and do nothing. I can't just sit here and do nothing as a Christian because I know that God has done something for me. And so I need to take that and return that to him. And be able to do that and be a representative of him, an ambassador of such. And so we will see how David, the king here, will send his ambassadors, a delegation, to show kindness. See, when you think about it, the steam of a steam engine, you know, you might ask, well, what's the steam of a steam engine do? And a lot of people might say, well, it toots the whistle. But it's really not just to toot the whistle, it's the power that moves the train. And so the Holy Spirit, God has given us the Holy Spirit as our steam to move us, move us sometimes into compassion, into love for others. And so the Holy Spirit is that steam, and we can't just contain that blessing alone. We've got to share it. We've got to let it out. Because if a steam engine doesn't use the steam for power and to move, and it just builds up steam and build... Anybody ever see a pressure cooker blow up? When I was a kid, um, we didn't know what it was, and we thought it was cool that it kind of just, this old pressure cooker my mom had, you'd set it on the stove, fill it with water, and it kind of, and steam would just fly out of it, and we thought it was cool. Well, my brother was wondering, what would happen if we duct taped that little thing that blew steam? And so we did, and we left it on the stove, and we went outside to play, thank God, and when we came back, we couldn't figure out where the hole in the ceiling came from. And how the kitchen got destroyed. Well, a small bomb went off. And it was the most amazing thing. I remember I laughed because when my mom came home, she kind of freaked out. But when we picked it up, we said, Mom, but look, it looks like a giant steel flower because of the way it appealed all completely apart. Now, I don't know if that's common for most pressure cookers to blow that way. But that's what happens when too much steam builds up and something that's just trying to contain it, you tend to kind of, it explodes, but we could implode as Christians, by keeping that power just to ourselves. See, we have to share it. 
And it usually starts with wanting to do something for God. It starts with us saying, man, God, we want to do something for you. And that's good. I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I was like, Lord, I just want to do something awesome for you. What can I do for you? And I had a friend and I was telling him, I was like, you know, every day I pray that I can do something for God. And he was the one that told me, dude, you can't do anything for God. I was like, really? I can't go out and, and, and feed a homeless guy? No, no, no. God puts that in you and, and he does that through you. And so he corrected my mistake of thinking I could do. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, this is what I'm doing for you, Lord. We sing that stuff, and, and we understand the context of it. So I'm not going to major on the minors. But we can do something for someone who may be in a bad way. All of us, like I've been saying in the last few weeks, all of us know somebody that may be having a rough life. Maybe there's somebody here that's having a rough life. And so, how do you know if someone's having a rough life? Well, maybe they tell you. Are you reaching out to someone? Are you saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I, I don't know what I'm praying for you, but I'm just asking the Lord to, to reveal himself to you, and, and I'm just praying for you that life's good. I have a friend, and I'm praying for him. I mean, he's just newly in prison, probably, for the rest of his life. And he's somebody that I've known since he was a little boy, and because of what he had done hitting so close to home for me and and what had happened is just it's horrible but I feel bad for him as to where he's at because I know the potential that he has that he could grow up to be great but I also this morning in this morning's meeting as we talked about this have seen that God can take that bad situation and turn it around for such a good thing that he could be a jailhouse Billy Graham, and that has been my prayer for him, for him to minister to even some of the same prisoners that his father had ministered to in the past. And so there are those times when you want to do something kind for someone, whether they've been good or bad. Maybe they're a little suspicious, and they tell you, why are you doing that for me? What is your purpose in doing that? Anybody ever been there where you do something for someone and they're like, hey, why are you doing that? Why, what would cause you to do that? Now, fathers, you should ask that real nicely dressed young man that comes knocking on the door, asking for your daughter's hand on a date. You should ask that question, well, why are you doing this? But when somebody does something nice for you, unless you just don't like your daughter and you're trying to get rid of her, then you'd be like, hey, thank her. It's all yours. May the Lord bless you with that. But what if somebody's doing something really nice, baking cookies for you, and you take some cookies over to a neighbor's house, and they take them, and they're like, well, what is this for? I just wanted to do something nice. Well, there's got to be a reason behind it. Why would you do something nice for me? I've known people like that. Why would you do something nice for me? I've never done anything nice for you. I don't want you to do anything nice for me. I just want to do something nice for you. Oh, there's something behind this. So they take the cookies, and all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, there's your plate back with other cookies on it. Here, just so we don't owe each other anything. Hey, bro, we ain't cowboys out on the range, you know? I mean, it's like, help me out. So I take them. And if I was like that guy, then I'd be like, I wonder why he's doing this nice thing for me. So I'm going to put some more cookies on here, bigger cookies this time, and I'm going to take them back to this freak. And then that freak takes them back to me. And then we got this problem. It was like, man, there are people like that. Well, what about the people who just take the gift and say thank you? Are you like that? Can you do that? 
Somebody does something nice for you, you're like, oh, they probably think I need a handout. Great. I can't believe they think that I need cookies. Or are they saying I'm too skinny? Or would they like to see me a little larger? Or wonder what they're trying to do here. Don't they know? Don't they know I don't like these kind of cookies? Maybe there's nuts on the brownies. Oh, don't they know I'm allergic to nuts? Maybe not. Maybe they're just trying to do something nice. Just something nice. And so it usually starts with us wanting to do something for God. And then we need to do something for somebody that might be in a bad way. David did something for Mephibosheth. He accepted it. He enjoyed it. Mephibosheth accepted it and enjoyed it. It says he sat at the king's table continually. He didn't say, hey, Dave, what can I do for you? Uh, although I can't walk, but I could do something for you. I could, I could wash dishes if you set me up on a high stool. I could do it. You know, he just accepted the gift. He just accepted that gift. See, if that's you, if you're that suspicious receiver, there are those, we'll say that. If you're taking notes, you can write down suspicious receiver. If you're that person, someone drops those cookies off and you think they might be, you know, and it's like if that happens, you know, if I was that guy, I'd be taking those cookies and I'd be like, all right, cool, some nice cookies, thinking they could be poisoned. (laughs) That suspicion turns to pride. That's what happens. You ever notice that, those suspicious people? They're they're kind of prideful. Uh, They're prideful. We're all filled with pride, and it's really pride that says, I don't need that gift. I, I just don't need your help. I've offered to help people, and they say, hey, man, I'm okay. I don't need it. And I'm like, man, I'm just trying to bless you with something. And then they find out they do need it, but their pride had stepped in. And guess what? Well, it caused a bunch of problems that could have been avoided. And that's kind of what we see here today. If it isn't pride or suspicion, then it's usually guilt. It works like this. Oh, man, thanks for giving me that, but I don't have anything to give to you. You ever hear anyone do that? You give them a gift, they're like, oh, dude, that's awesome, thanks, but I don't have anything to give back to you. I I used to be that guy. I used to think that if somebody gave me something, I had to give them something back because I owed them something. I didn't want to, it was guilt. And so, I mean, it just just doesn't work very well. I mean, that pride will always mess us up. And so, you know, some people will say, well, I'd rather not take this because I, I really don't have anything to give you back. Uh, I don't want to owe you anything because I'm suspicious of this thing that you're doing for me, and so it'd just be better if you just kept it. And then another response, well, it could be anger. It could be anger. Look at verse 4. Therefore, Hanun took David's servants, shaved off their half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. See, David finds out there's a king who has just lost his dad, sends a delegation to show kindness to Nahash's son, and it's just really kind of, when you look at this, it's, it's kind of hard to explain what happens here. Why these advisors to Hanawin said, hey, these guys are nothing but trouble. So they didn't shave off half their beard where they left a stash. Or this part, a little goatee. They shaved off one half of their beard, the left side or the right side. And and they sent them back wearing super short cutoffs. I mean, not good. Not a good scene at all. And it's possible that 
these guys genuinely suspected David, or they may have just used this as a way to appear wise and cunning to, to the king. Hey, man, we're smarter. These guys, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to get you. We don't know what's up. Well, Nahash, there was a peace treaty between David and Nahash. And so it was just kind of a political move, kind of like, hey, man, I'm sorry that you lost your dad. Maybe David experienced the loss of his father, and he kind of knew and said, hey, I'm just going to send some guys with some flowers and, and some gifts, and here we are. And, oh, no, they're here to spy and take, take over. You see people like that with the cookies. What, what are you doing here? You're just trying to see in my house, aren't you? See what I got. Probably not a reputable dude, so you try to deliver some cookies and make it look like, oh, you're a nice guy, but hey, you're just here to see what I have so you can try to rob me when I'm not home. Well, I'm not leaving, buddy. I never leave. I got a chain where I chain myself to my living room floor. I'm not ever leaving. That's the, that's the kind of attitude these guys have. And it's common for liars to always suspect others of lying. It's common for paranoids to always suspect people of being paranoid. And then other paranoid people hang out with other paranoid people because everybody's after them and, hey, you got my back? And then they're paranoid of the guy watching their back. Well, what if he's not watching my back? I bet he's not watching my back. It just goes around in this weird little circle. But because the servants were suspect of the delegation sent by David, they cut these guys' jeans into these daisy dukes. And so these guys are looking real foolish and so it's just, it's just sad that people are like that, that they're always suspicious. And usually the reason people are suspicious is because they've done something wrong and they just didn't take care of business the right way and they've done something wrong and now they feel like they're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be taken advantage of. They have no trust. And it's those who have no trust who usually, well, they're the ones doing the thing that you shouldn't trust. I always tell people, you always know when somebody's really, really, truly lying sometimes because you accuse them of something, and they figure, well, if I get mad at that thing, that will show less suspicion on me. But you accuse them, and they act crazy and start throwing a fit, and you're like, hey, you're pretty much guilty. And you find out. I've seen it happen over and over. And not with my children, but children in youth group. When I worked as a a youth leader, you'd confront them on something, they'd act like you're the world's worst guy for doing that. And then you'd go look at a videotape and you're like, yeah, look, hey, come here. I know you got mad. I'm sorry I accused you of that. But hey, you should be really upset at this guy because he looks exactly like you stealing that microphone or that guitar or whatever they stole. Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. Come Alive. 